0: (laughs) thanks anyway rachel that's lovely With it being a bit new. <laughs> after, after all that. Um, good morning. Um, my name is Peter. I'm terrified to be here. <laughs> um, I, I did this. Obviously, I did this at nine fifteen. But I, the last time um, I, I preached was in the summer, and thankfully. Not many people were there, so that was wonderful. Uh, So this is a new experience for all of us, which is great. Okay, so as Sarah said, this is the topic for today, Jesus, multifaceted. Now, you probably have the same reaction as I did when I saw that. I thought, what? (laughs) What do I do with that? Anyway, it will be revealed. I have thought a few things around this. So... I'm going to try and look at this screen, but I may look at that screen. So do, first of all, do we have a one-dimensional view of other people? What I mean is this. OK, so what is that? This is an easy question, by the way. It's not a trick one. It's a, it's a square. It's an orange square if you want. So what's this? It's a beige. OK, beige. I'll go with beige circle. OK. It's two shapes, but what if you're not wrong, but what if you're not quite correct? What if it is in fact one of those? You may be looking at the orange bit thinking it's a square, or from a different direction you may be looking at what appears to be the round bit, but is in fact just the end of this cylinder. So. You know, sometimes we have a view, don't we? And we we may be right, but we may not be right. Okay. This is actually in the 9.15. This is where the PowerPoint packed up, so that was fun. Uh, It may happen again. Um, This is a a cartoonist from France, would you believe, who uh, has typified the British person. So you'll see here, pint of beer, Union Jack... uh, uh, sh- whatever they are, shorts, football, umbrella, and of course the permanent raining cloud over the top. Um, obviously a caricature, I think, of us. But we do like to classify people, don't we? We do like our caricatures, our stereotypes. So when somebody says, oh, you always do that, or she, she never does this, or we, we kind of box people in, don't we, into a particular type. And there's actually a whole study on this. If you're uh, into the kind of world of um, psychology and so on, you'll know about Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs has a classification of 16 personality types. And um, there's one here, which is thankfully not me. uh, Well, thankfully, it's not me, um, which is (laughs) not that one. No. no. It's called the supervisor. So this is if you are an ESTJ personality, which stands apparently for extrovert sensing, thinking, and judging. So the ESTJ are organized, honest, dedicated, dignified, traditional, and are great believers in doing what they believe is right and socially acceptable. Uh, through the path towards good and right are difficult. They are glad to take their place as the leaders of the pack. They are the epitome of good. Citizenry, citizenry, even, and sorry, and and there's another fifteen like that, <laughs> which I'm not going to read out. Um, but the thing is, when I look at these, I think I think I look at all of them. And I think, oh, there's a little bit of me in there. I can see someone else, maybe. And you, you're never one category, are you? You're always a bit of one and a bit of another. So. Um, yeah, So, and, and, and the extrovert-introvert is, is another thing. You're never quite uh, one or the other, I think. But first impressions. So um, I go to the... I'm a volunteer at the CAP job club, and one of the things we've been doing is uh, training people for interview. Um, because you may not know, but the, according to Forbes, uh, you need to make your impression or you will make your impression, whether you like it or not, within the first seven seconds of an interview. So that's pretty much the time where you've come through the door, wandered over, shook his hand. you basically, that is more or less your uh, impression giving time. And your interview, as it follows, may, uh, may, uh, uh, may slightly contravene that, or it may just uh, endorse the, the view of the interviewer that in fact you are what they think you are. Um, so seven seconds to make an impression, And research has shown, uh, from Princeton uh, University, in 2006, that uh, it only takes you a tenth of a second to get an impression of a a stranger. So, as a blink of an eye, you've you've already decided what type of person they are, which is pretty frightening most of the time. Um, But thankfully, thankfully, that is not the complete picture. We're actually a complex bunch, aren't we? We're made up of all sorts. Uh, we live in a complex world, we have complex societies. The climate, the geology, the ecosystems in nature, but also then art, literature, music, uh, politics, um, society generally, are all complex. And as human beings, we're three-dimensional. We're not one or two-dimensional. There's a lot of Part, a lot of history to us, a lot of experience, think good things and bad things we've got uh, our our family or friends around us as we 've grown up, the things that we've we've learned along the way and so we could say that we are unique, that we are many-sided we are flawed, obviously <laughs> we're complex we're contradictory a lot of the time, and we're a bit like these rocks. Basically, all different shapes and sizes. A bit uh, lumpy, shall we say. And that is us. And you might identify with one, one rock or another. Now, who's this? Quick, quick, right. Yes, you will know that because he is the most famous English person, voted as the, the greatest English person that ever lived. And there's a lot going for him. Obviously, he was, um, he was a fantastic statesman. He was a great communicator, an orator. You think of all the wartime broadcasts. He, he would say these things in Parliament. Then he'd go back to the radio studios and he'd record it, or he would broadcast what he had just said in Parliament. Um, he won the Nobel Prize, I think, for historic uh, literature. He was apparently very good at that. And he was a watercolor painter. He painted over 500. Um, uh, uh, what are they called? <laughs> Canvases, I think, um, in, his, in his time at Chartwell, and uh, a lot of those were to relieve the stress of his, uh, his role in, in leading the country. But then you'd also say that he was a failed military strategist. Basically, in the First World War, uh, he was in the army and he uh, masterminded the Dardanelles campaign, which was uh, pretty much of a disaster from a British point of view, anyway. And he also suffered from depression. He called it the black dog and something he fought um, through uh, it most of his life. So, and again, another complex character with good things and, and things that he found difficult and people found difficult around him. Um, and that's the same when we come to Jesus. Um, I think it's fair to say that uh, people find it hard to describe Jesus, to understand him. And people have uh, tried to categorize him and put him into a box, but he simply won't fit in the box. He's too big, and he keeps on moving. And it's good to put him in a box in one way, because then he's less threatening, isn't he? He's just in a box, and it's easier then to criticize him. If you say that he's, I don't know, a, a revolutionary, as we learned in one of our sessions, then if that's the only view you have, then there's obviously shades of that which, which are less um, uh, attractive and, and more open to criticism. So it's a real big question that everybody who comes and meets Jesus has to answer is, who was he? And who is he? And we say, who is he? Because we believe, or we know that he rose from the dead. So he's alive. And as we're the week after Easter, we know that he lives with us, he lives in our church, he lives in our world. And people have to decide what they think about him. So for you, which box do you want to put Jesus into? How, do you want to sideline him? Do you want to tie him down? Do you want to... Put him back in the in the other in the other room. Do you want to ignore him, or do you want to engage with him? We're talking about just the beginning there about um, the time it takes for us to build an opinion. Out of courtesy to somebody, it's it's often a good thing, isn't it, to give them time to be able to talk about themselves, to be able to, you know, for you to get to know them. Marriage is a lifetime of that for many, for for all of us. And uh, I think uh, you know to just dismiss Jesus at the click of a finger, isn't a very sensible thing to do. So was he the king of the Jews? Was he a mystic? Was he a revolutionary? Was he just a good moral teacher? A lot of people say that, don't they? Oh, he's a great teacher. Trouble is that he said so much more about that, that doesn't fit into that bracket that you have to look at it a little bit harder. Was he just gentle, Jesus, meek and mild? And if that should say, man or God, do you, do you think he was man or God? Do you think he was man and God? All these things are important. So, it's fair to say that a lot of people are afraid to look at Jesus. They're afraid to examine his claims. They're afraid to look at what he might actually be asking of them. And it's also true to say that many people have attempted to portray Jesus. And you'll see around the back here, there are 12 of the uh, stands that we used at uh, Good Friday service and also the following Saturday, the next Saturday, which give an impression. And they also will be up on here as well. So these are different views of Jesus. Some of them, this one is uh, from the Catholic tradition. This one is uh, of, um, as a reconstruction of a first century Jewish person. So someone who might look maybe a bit like Jesus, who knows? That's uh, the kind of uh, Jesus revolutionary. This is a 4th century uh, depiction of Christ. This is the Holman Hunt picture, uh, which is the, uh, the light of Christ. It's basically talking about revelation and behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is laughing Jesus. Uh, this is an uh, orthodox icon. Uh, this is the guy who was in the shack depicting Jesus. Um, that's uh, Mr. Powell the, of the Jesus film. And that's, again, another uh, Catholic view of, of Jesus. This is the uh, reconstruction of uh, using um, genetics, I think, um, of the body, of the person they believe was under the Turin Shroud. We don't know whether that was Jesus or not, do we? But question on all of those was the question that Peter asked, uh, was asked um, of G- by Jesus. But well, what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Maybe that's the question that God's asking you. So over the last uh, nine weeks so far, and this is the tenth week, we've been looking at different aspects of Jesus. We've been looking at him as teacher and revolutionary, as we've just looked at. Leader, an example, restorer, were he real? Did he identify, identifying with our with our situation? Compassionate, King, which was Palm Sunday, and then risen last week. And the story that Phil read out earlier was the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And um, It's a fantastic story. I recommend you read it again uh, because it just shows you a fantastic interaction between Jesus, uh, the King of Kings, but an ordinary bloke, talking to this very surprised uh, Samaritan lady who wasn't expecting an encounter with Jesus. But it's fair to say that there are different aspects then of, of what you see in this story. So we have... The fact that Jesus was, was ordinary, he was thirsty, he was hot and tired, he wanted a drink, so he asked for one. He was caring in his attitude towards uh, the woman, and gentle, responsive, he was patient. So all the kind of human aspects. But then he was also offering eternal life. He, was, he knew everything about this woman, even though that didn't come out until halfway through the story. Yet he was forgiving. He understood her situation. And he commended her on being truthful. He referred to himself as the Messiah. And he said, I am he. So in the same story, you've got this intermingling of both divine and human. And it it is a journey during that story of the woman just concentrating on very ordinary things like... uh, buckets and wells and water, to realizing that she's talking to the Son of God, to the Messiah, the one who's been sent, the one who can offer her eternal life, who can offer her springs of water. So these are the two pictures. One is the one that the woman's thinking of, which is this well of Jacob, which is probably very deep, got a rusty old bucket or something and a dodgy rope and it may be quite, it is deep, and we know that, it may be that the water's a bit off, basically, and it may, may be quite a hard graft, pulling that up, and, and and getting the water out. Stagnant, maybe, water, I don't know, it may have had a few, you know, animals drop down it, I don't know. And on the other side, we've got what Jesus offers, which is basically uh, the spring welling up to eternal life. This is a Water that is flowing constantly—it never gives up. It will always be there to refresh. It'll be cool. It'll be just constant. It'll be overflowing. Uh, there's a, sto- there's a, a song um, by Matt Redmond who says, "If if my life is a cup, then God's love is an ocean." It's the kind of scale of things that you don't appreciate—is that the amount of water that's coming out of that spring? is is unbelievable, and that 's a choice that we have first of all, is that a picture of your life, one of those two i don 't know which one you think of when you think of yourself are you Are you dried up are you Are you finding things difficult? Are you finding uh, that it 's hard work getting the water, getting refreshed, getting a sense of peace, getting a sense of of life, or are you Completely in that flow that God has provided and says, you can have this. This is yours. If you accept it, I will give it to you. So we've got a deep and dried up, potentially dried up well and an old bucket. Or we've got a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And it's your choice. You can either hear Jesus' invitation or you can refuse it. So here we have the paradox of Jesus. In one sense, you can't know Jesus. He's immense. He's the Son of God. He's eternal. He is um, everything that we're not. He's infinite. He's holy. He's the Son of God. He speaks in parables, which makes it quite difficult sometimes to understand what he's saying. He's unmanageable, unimaginable in his strength and might. And yet you can know Jesus. The reason is he came to seek and to save the lost. He was the one at the well meeting the woman. the woman. The woman wasn't meeting him. She was just doing her stuff. She was just doing what she did normally. She, in fact, was probably avoiding everybody else in the middle of the day. Everybody else came earlier on to get their water. She was probably ostracized by the rest of the community. And we know why that was, because she had all these husbands and other uh, relationships going on, and people were shunning her. Jesus doesn't do that. He comes to seek and to save the lost. He, He went all the way through Samaria to find this woman. He knows our weaknesses. He knew about the woman. He knew about what she'd done. Did that stop him? No, it didn't. And he wants a living relationship built on love, What he offered that woman, she found it it quite hard to believe it to start with. It was pretty amazing. This is a woman who has been shunned by society, being offered an everlasting, inexhaustible supply of water, spiritual nourishment and food and, and resource and life for eternity. And what's more, Jesus will teach us throughout our lives new things about him it's not going to all be one download as it were one hit when you get to know him it's a gradual thing as you as you live with him as you journey with him one of the things that that's always struck me about the resurrection talked about this week was that one of the key events after the resurrection was Jesus meeting the two people on the way to Emmaus and you think well Jesus didn't have to if he didn't want to be with them, he didn't have to do that. It was kind of he wanted to journey with those two men as they walked to Emmaus. He wanted to explain what it was about, uh, about him, about his death, about his resurrection. And he is, that's what he wants for us. He doesn't leave us in the cold, out in the dark. You know, he he, he wants to, if we're willing, he will explain who he is and what he means to us. So Jesus is the multifaceted diamond, isn't he? Diamonds are prized and precious because not only do they have brilliance because they uh, reflect light straight out, but they also provide colour. If you've seen a, a, a diamond cut well, you'll see that it comes out with the, the rainbow, the full spectrum of colour. So you have this mixture of of uh, light and colour, sort of infinitely changing. It's like a sort of kaleidoscopic effect when, you look in, when people look into a diamond, when it's uh, got that light shining through it. The light comes out and comes out in its full spectrum. And the thing is, you know those rocks I showed you? I didn't tell you that they're actually diamonds. Those are uncut diamonds. And that's like you and me, isn't it? Because that is what we can be. Because Jesus comes and he changes and he knocks a few bits off and he shines us buffs it up and he, he hones us, he cuts us in such a way that we become like the diamond. So the light shines through it and reflects out to everybody else in a technicolor fashion that is very attractive. So you and I as, as the rock don't give up. Don't see yourself as staying like that. If you want to, you can change, and you can be a diamond. Um, if you were at a job club at the meal, you'll have, I'll have told you this, so I'm sorry about this, but um, when I was uh, eight years old, going on nine, I was sent away to, board, uh, to prep school in near Bath, and I was the ninth in the... Uh, a line of nine other people who'd been there, so I hadn't got any choice. I was basically going. And uh, it was a boarding school, and uh, it was a very strange experience. It was like jumping off the deep end of a a swimming pool. I didn't know what was going on, basically. still don't, but... uh, um, And uh, I remember... um, Well, I found out later, in fact, that this was not just any school. It's actually a Christian school it's basically set up for missionaries a long time ago and whilst other members of my family may or may not have responded Jesus knew way back way back that I was going here and one of the things they did is they had a bible study so the matron this probably doesn't compute with most people in their school experience but basically we had a matron who gave a bible study at night and she showed a postcard of this which is the Holman Hunt picture. This is the, uh, I think this is the second one. He did one in about 1850-something, 19- and he did a later one. The later one is in St. Paul's Cathedral. If you're going there, have a look. Whoops, no, I didn't mean to do that. Um, and essentially, the picture then shows Jesus knocking at the door. He's got his lantern. The, it's coming, it's getting dark. Um, the light behind is fading. There's thorns and thistles and weeds growing up the side of the door. and It looks as like though it's been knocking for quite some time. The thing about this painting is, you may already know this, is it doesn't have a handle on the outside. The handle is on the inside. And it's the, uh, it's the expression of the, um, the verses in Revelation which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens the door... And let's me in. I will eat with them, and they with me. The choice is always ours. Uh, God never forces. Jesus never forces himself upon you. He will never do that, and he will knock for as long as he knocks on our lives. So I then that night, I asked Jesus into my life, and I was, I was nine, and I've never regretted it. And. I just would like to ask you, if you haven't already, you need to ask Jesus into your life. If you want to become like the diamond, letting the light through in all its brilliance, in all its color and variety, then you need to allow Jesus to do a few things. You need forgiveness, perhaps you need cleansing, you need to perhaps change a few things in the way you, you live maybe your relationships need a bit of a bit of working on nothing that God can't do it's all possible with Jesus that's and I want to say that, say that, for, that for, to, to suggest that there is a possibility that you can have that well of water that inexhaustible fresh beautiful supply of spiritual life It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or not. That is all for you. Jesus went specially to that well to meet that woman, to tell her that her life could be different. And it was. She changed. She got the whole village to come out and meet this guy. Well, this guy, he told me everything I ever did. And could he be the Messiah? A big, great advertising line. Fantastic. Um, And they came out. And he stayed with them for two days. And by the end of it, they could say, well, we listened, we believe what she said to us. But actually, we've now seen it for ourselves. So that's all my message is going to be. It's just, uh, have a think. Um, What do you want to be? And how do you want to live? Thank you.